Hello, and welcome to episode two of Evil, an exclusive series done by the Smoke Break Podcast. Today, I'm bringing you a particularly disturbing story. So first, I wanted to say, if you are easily bothered or offended or triggered or whatever word you want to put in there, please listen with caution because this one is pretty rough. The story today is going to be about Jerry Brudos. He's also known as the Lust Killer, but better known as the Shoe Fetish Killer. Jerry was a fucking monster to begin. And the point of all these stories is not to glorify murderers. Let's get this out of the way first and foremost. The point of these stories is to tell the story for the victim. These people, again, they deserve to have their stories told, as I said in the previous show. So we're going to start by saying the names of his four victims. Linda Slauson, age 19. Karen Sprinker, age 18. Jan Susan Whitney, age 23. Linda Saley, age 22. I think it's important to stay aware that there are still people out here. There are still people that walk on our streets that you may think of just regular people. Your neighbor. There are people out there who are disturbed. They're sick. So always be on the lookout. If you see someone in distress, help them or call the police. You don't know what could happen. So Jerry Brutos, I even hate to say his name because he's such a monster. He murdered four women and attempted to abduct and murder two more. Sharon Wood was a 24-year-old female. He attempted to abduct at gunpoint from the basement level of Mall Parking Garage in Portland on April 21st, 1969. Courageously, she was able to fight him off and escaped her demise. Another young lady who was, was Gloria Jean Smith. At 15 years old, she managed to escape his disgusting grip as well as the day after... This is the day after Sharon Wood, okay? She escaped him on April 22nd, 1969. Now, not all of his victims were this lucky. Not all of them were afforded the an opportunity to fight their way out and conquer this truly evil monster, this demon, this devil, whatever you want to call the son of a bitch. He's scum. Now, again, I don't want you to think that any of this is glorifying this disgusting person, but this is a story that is very disturbing. So please, brace yourself. The events of the story take place between January 26, 1969 and April 22, 1969, and they happen in Salem, Oregon. So let's get into some quick backstory to not understand, but to get a, to get a glimpse of the madness, to get a glimpse of the insanity. We have to see what his backstory was. So let me guide you through the beginning of this. Jerry was born on January 31st, 1939. In South Dakota. During his younger years, Jerry was moved a lot by his family. They moved around the north the northwest and, and traveled to several different areas before settling down in Salem, Oregon. This is where it began at five years old. He found a stiletto at a local junkyard. And this is when his fetish began, supposedly. Was at five years old, which is hard to believe. But he started to obsess over these stilettos. And in first grade, he tried to steal his teacher's shoes. Now things obviously only begin to get weirder. In his teenage years, Brutus began to stalk local women. He began to knock them down or 
or choke them unconscious. And then he would flee with their shoes. Just crazy. Eventually, after some disturbing and, and strange things culminating in this kid's life, his parents stepped in. And the reason they stepped in is pretty bad. See, Jerry had held this young lady at, at knife point. He made her remove her clothes while also taking photographs of her. During this time, Jerry was then put in and out of the psychotherapy, psychiatric wards, uh, but was still able to, at the end of the day, finish his schooling like a normal person, except Jerry is obviously far from normal. So once he was out of his parents' household, the therapy stopped. And this is where things took a drastic, drastic turn. According to biography.com, after high school, Jerry was uh, eventually had become an electronics technician. There are some reports he also spent some time in the military, but was discharged for bizarre obsessions. Around the age of 22, Jerry would marry 17-year-old Darcy. He and Darcy would move to Portland, Oregon and start a family having two children. But we must consider that this is still a very sick man. As a world would soon come to find out, Jerry still had a lot of demons. He had fetishes that he wanted to explore. So he continued to sneak around to the neighboring homes and steal women's shoes and underwear. Although these things and crimes were not violent at the time, they would soon take a very dark turn. And this is where things get pretty disturbing. Actually, I can't even say that. The whole story is disturbing. This is where things get incredibly dark. And this is when the world would begin to find out about the monster, the hidden monster that was Jerry Brudos. As I continue to read more about, about Jerry, it just hurt my stomach. And before we get into the, the four murders that he did commit, there was a crime that happened in 1967. According to biography.com, in May of that year, he targeted a woman because he liked her shoes, so he followed her home. Brutus went into her house, and after she went to sleep, and after he strangled her at the point of a consciousness, he raped her and then left, taking some of her shoes with him. Again, Brutus was not connected to this crime until much later. This is after the four crimes that we're about to discuss. So on January 26, 1968, Linda Slauson, a young encyclopedia saleswoman, paid a visit to Brutus' home. He pretended to be interested in buying a set, of course, but he had more sinister intentions. Brutus later admitted that he hit her in the head and strangled her to death. After her death, he kept the body for a time, dressing it up in women's undergarments. Brutus also removed one of her feet so that he could put high-heeled shoes on it from his collection. Later, Brutus dumped the body. Now, this is, dis this is just disgusting, you know, and, and this is what's so scary. You never know what people are capable of. And I'm not saying you shouldn't trust anyone, but be careful because there's sickos like this running around and just be careful. So the murder spree continued. That November, Jan Whitney was driving home for Thanksgiving when her car broke down. 
Bruno saw her and stopped to offer her help. Instead, he strangled her in the car and had sexual relations with her dead body. What the fuck? Brutus brought Whitney's body into his workshop and dressed and posed it for photographs. As with Slauson's remains, he decided to keep part of his victim. This time, he removed one of Whitney's breasts. Now, I don't know if you can tell, but it's getting harder and harder for me to read this material. As it's laid out, I just cannot think of what's going on with this, with this person. Now, if you go back and read some of his biography, it talks about how he was abused physically and mentally by his mother. His mother would always rave on and on about how she would rather have a daughter instead of another son. And he was the second one. So this has this gives no excuse to do these things. But the mental toll it must put on somebody to commit these heinous of crimes is just insanity. Why was no one aware of this? I just, I just don't get it. When he was arrested at 17 for holding that young woman at knife point and remove her clothes so he could take photos and, and beat on her, he was taken into the mental home and there they diagnosed him with schizophrenia. He was there for nine months, along with being in and out of multiple other psychotherapy sessions. So how did he get away with all this? He's married, right? Well, that usually doesn't stop psychopaths, right? It doesn't. You read multiple stories about Dennis Rader, all these people that seem just like normal folks, until the skeletons start to fall out of the closet. The way this asshole kept his little secrets all covered up was because, like most serial killers, he didn't commit them at home, but he stored the bodies at home. And on his wife's arrival, if she was ever out anywhere she would come home with her kids right he would make her announce her arrival through an intercom system so he could clean up the mess how fucked up it's just disgusting and again this is what a lot of serial killers do this is how they get away with it they're just average joe to the naked eye sorry i had to ramble for a minute because the story is so messed up i had to get i had to get a little bit off track to get back on track so to continue, the next two victims would be Sharon Wood and Gloria Jean Smith. Both were attempted abductions that they got away. We spoke about this at the beginning. So thankfully, these two made it out if there's a silver lining. Okay. But the last one was especially disturbing. Linda Saley was 22 and she was abducted, abducted from a shopping mall. I guess that's where he liked to go and prowl around for people. On April 23rd, 1969, he brought her to the garage, his garage, where he raped and strangled her. He also played with her corpse. I just... Ugh. So, there's other things that he did after this, in this certain case, where I, I don't feel comfortable speaking about on here. If you are interested in seeing more about it, you can look at Wikipedia. You can look at biography.com. Um, it's, it's just this case, this woman, it was pretty rough. And so out of respect for this lady, I, I, I will just leave that to you. 
So let's go ahead and move on to the best part. This whole story. If there's a best part, it's the justice. It's that he got caught. In May of 1969, fishermen would find the body of Karen Sprinker, the second woman he murdered, who was 18, and Linda Saley, aged 22, which was the last murder, and the most gruesome story probably out of all of them. These fishermen would find their bodies in the Long Tom River, which is about 50 miles from where he dumped them in the Willamette River. And as all serial killers do, he gave himself away. See, what happened was he started hanging around a bar and he was talking to younger women and people were getting kind of freaked out by him. Obviously, he's probably a freaky ass motherfucker. And so they begin to report him. And then a young lady came forward and said that, hey, he tried to seduce me and, and, and take me away, but I didn't go with him. And he tried to call me and I wouldn't, I wouldn't answer. So... This is where the police began their trail. This is where they got suspicious. We have these bodies popping up. And then this girl is claiming that people are are, uh, are reporting that pe- this man is, is harassing her. So they, they started to put the two together. On top of all this, Brutos gave the police a false address. When confronted, he gave them a false address. See, the reason they they got to Brutus Brutus was because this girl had mentioned to them, hey, he called me several times, asked me on a date, wouldn't leave me alone. So she told him who it was. So thankfully, he gave himself away, and thankfully, she had the courage to speak up about this. There's no telling how many lives she saved, because this guy was on a psychopathic murder spree. Once police were able to confirm his address... They approached the home and they went to the garage. First and foremost, they found copper wire that had they could confirm was cut by the same tool he used to cut the wires to tie the women down. After this confirmation, this was the last one they needed. They were able to arrest him, and surprisingly, or not surprisingly, he made a full confession. On June 28, 1969, Brutus pled guilty to three first-degree murders, the murders of Sprinker, Whitney, and Sally, and was sentenced to three consecutive terms of life imprisonment, which, if you ask anybody, especially me, is not enough, in the Oregon State Penitentiary. Though he confessed to Salson's murder, Brutus was neither tried nor convicted for it because he he didn't make or keep any photographs of the body. Unlike in the other cases, which he kept photos of, and they found eventually. When they did all their prodding into his life, they found photos and a bunch of other disturbing evidence that totally incriminated him. Thank God. Jan Susan Whitney's body was found about a month after Brutus' conviction, about a mile downstream from where he had said he'd thrown it or dumped the body. During his three life sentence time in prison, he would keep a catalog large catalog of women's shoe magazines that he claimed that he would use as his pornography just just makes it even freakier but also he was i think he was roughed up by some of those prisoners uh his stay was not easy which brings me great delight also um he would die in 1996 from liver cancer and depending on what you believe i think that this guy is probably burning in hell 
he tried for countless appeals, but they all got thrown out, and he made a bunch of ridiculous claims. They all got thrown out. And finally, in 1995, he was told he would never be released. The year before he died. Good. I'm glad he never was. When he died in prison, uh, he was the longest incarcerated inmate in the Oregon Department of Corrections. A total of 37 years. 1969 to 2006. Strangely enough, this this guy, this monster, this asshole, uh, made his way into popular culture. According to Wikipedia, Brutus is portrayed by actor Happy Anderson in the Netflix original series Mindhunter, season one, episodes seven and eight. So if you want to check that out, if you don't want to have, don't want to read about all of this insanity, check that out. This episode was rough. It was rough for me to read, uh, to do my research on, to to look at the situation um, and just to imagine what what these women's last thoughts were and, and, but I think it's good to face these things so we know what we could be up against there's evil out there folks keep your eyes open be aware of your surroundings be aware of the situations you're putting yourself in if you need help speak up seek it someone is always there to help you trust your gut and know when to say get out Thank you for joining me this week on the first episode of the week for evil. Uh, remember, we'll be doing episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays each week of evil and on Wednesdays of the regular smoke break podcast with me, Randy and Trevor. You can find us on Spotify, Apple podcasts, and you can support us on our Patreon as well. Also follow us on Instagram. My Instagram is Garth smoke break podcast. Uh, you can find me on there. I post things all the time about our podcast, um, about evil and different projects that we'll be working on. That's the best way to keep up with us. So if you're not, if you're not over there following me, go follow me. Um, I hope you enjoy the content thus far. And I look forward to providing more in the coming days, weeks, months, years. Hopefully we'll be doing this for, uh, forever. <laughs> Thanks everyone. And, uh, take care.